0: The 60s was very much led by music as well, so obviously, music seems to be a, a very powerful force. And, you know, I would, I would use an alchemical word transmuting that suffering into something of a social and cultural shift.
1: Radio Mano Papa
2: Chris. My name's Bryce from Sydney, Australia. I've been listening to your podcast for the past year and it's been good. <laughs> um, the, opening, the opening music really captures the sort of ambiv- ambivalence I feel when I've been searching for meaning and doing what I think needs to be done, even when it's emotionally hard to do it. Anyway, I'll be walking across New South Wales with my mentor Bante Jason, a Theravada monk who ordained in Sri Lanka but has been homeless walking around Australia for the past seven years. I first met him six years ago and this is the first time I'll be, I'll be walking with him since that first meet. So, if you're around New South Wales, keep an eye out. It goes to all ears. Peace.
1: Hey, Chris. This is Alyssa, longtime listener of the podcast. Here, I'm here on Johnston Island in the Pacific Remote Island Territories of the U.S. One of only five people living here right now to study seabirds and kill invasive ants. Uh, your podcasts have been giving me a lot of comfort here, even though the internet's so slow. I haven't been able to download any since December. So if you don't play this until the summer, I probably won't know the difference as we won't be getting back into civilization until June. So thanks so much for the podcast. I especially appreciate it when you mention unabashedly how lazy you are. I myself am a lazy person and I take no shame in it. I always have to make people understand that being lazy is not a bad thing. Continue to make the great podcast and bring the community together that you do. Thanks for everything. Hi everyone and bye. Hi, Chris and all the tangentially speaking listeners I'm Kira. I live in Grand Rapids Michigan where we are currently experiencing a polar vortex I'm on day three of a snow day they've shut down our schools museums even our postal service it's really giving me some time to slow down and I've got to catch up on the podcast Um, this time last year to escape the cold weather I took off to Bali I went there solo, I got a motorbike, and I just rode around the island. So when you talk about it, I'm filled with just such happiness you're there. But I also get a anxiety in my stomach because I start getting nostalgic, remembering just how magical of a paradise it is and how friendly the people are. I hope you enjoy your stay. I hope you enjoy the Bali pace and their way of life. Tere Akassi.
3: Yeah, I did enjoy Bali a lot and hope to get back there um, <clears throat> with a lot of time so we can sort of just chill in Bali, use it as a base and do lots of side trips because there's so many interesting places in Southeast Asia that I would love to um, peruse, wonder about it. Thanks for those snips. If you want to send uh, an interest snip to the podcast, you can send it to intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com. Yeah, that's intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com. All right. Uh, this episode, as a lot of them recently, it is brought to you by Mudwater. You can uh, order your Mudwater at mudwtr.com and uh, check it out. It's an elixir. It uh, can either be a replacement for coffee or it can be something you add to coffee actually it was um devised as a replacement for coffee it's got some mushroom extracts and uh let's see lion's mane reishi cordyceps it also has cacao which is a natural stimulant and turmeric which has uh, um, anti-inflammation properties i believe chaga mushroom and masala chai. Uh, any of you who've been to India have had a lot of masala chai, a whole bunch of spices in that cinnamon and some sea salt. It's hundred percent organic. And it is the brainchild of Shane Heath, who was on the last episode of this podcast. This particular episode is with a guy named Dan. Um, yes. His name is Dan D lion. He's a forager He's a really interesting um, dude. He, well, he'll tell you his story. Uh, He uh, sort of his his his, um sorry his Instagram handle is "Return to Nature," and that sort of sums up what he's doing. He's not a starry-eyed, you know, freaky deaky hippie with no idea of the reality of what he's talking about, though. He's very much grounded in practical application of skills survival skills um, foraging skills recognizing plants both for their uh, nutritional value and their medicinal value uh, he went out we were recording here at my place he went out to take a piss he came back in with two different um, medicinal plants that he found just out you know, like mm-hmm. within 10 feet of the front door of my apartment or my little cabin here in Topanga um, really interesting cat reminded me of Casilda having grown up in Mozambique and uh, being familiar with the medicinal plants there wherever we're traveling she sees plants and you know she'll point out like oh that's good for inducing abortion and this is good for stopping bleeding and this and I'm like well you've never even been to this part of the world before right how do you know that and um I guess it's that there are similarities in the leaf structure and, you know, that you can sort of see um, almost like family resemblances between plants. Um, But I also think that there are some people who have um, some kind of um, spontaneous communication or, or an ability to hear what plants are saying. Um, You know, you, you talk to, people about ayahuasca and it's a mystery how anyone could possibly know that if you take the leaves from one plant in the jungle and the bark from, uh, this other vine that grows in a different part of the jungle and you put them together in a pot and you boil them for 20 hours that they will have this incredibly profound effect. And so the story is that when people like, um, Um, Wade Davis or uh, Richard Evan Schultes, Wade Davis's professor at Harvard who did the real interesting travels in the Amazon in the 40s and the 50s and identified lots of psychoactive plants. Um, When he talked to the native people they would say, well, you know, our ancestors told us and, you know, it's been passed down through the generations. And you say, but who told the ancestors? And they say, well, you know, the ancestors watched the The animals sometimes, but no animals were making ayahuasca brew, right? Um, That might work for what seeds are edible or, you know, what's good if you have an upset stomach or whatever. But I don't remember who told me the story, but um, eventually someone said, look, the plants speak to us. You white people don't understand that, but the plants communicate with us. While we're talking about this particular issue, it just occurred to me, I've probably never recommended this book to you, but if you're interested in this kind of stuff, there's a beautiful book that was recommended to me by Andrew Weil many, many years ago. It's called The Wizard of the Upper Amazon. I think the author's name is Lamb, L-A-M-B. And basically, if I remember correctly, it's easily 20 years since I read this book, but what I remember is that it's the story... The story is written by a guy who worked for a logging company. And he was sent to Peru to spend a few months traveling around in the jungle, identifying trees to decide which areas should be logged and which shouldn't, and so on, when, what was economically viable. And he was assigned as a guide, um, Peruvian dude... And over the months, sitting by the fire every night and getting to know each other better and hearing stories from the Peruvian dude, eventually the logging guy decided to quit his job. He didn't want to be involved in the destruction of the forest and instead to write a book about the Peruvian guy's life because it was so extraordinary. And essentially... The story was that the Peruvian guy was out with his uncle and his father. Uh, I don't know if they were hunting or what they were doing. And the two men were killed by Indians. And the boy was taken, maybe seven or eight years old, taken back to the Indian village. And he was raised as one of them and was taught to be a shaman, a healer and um the reason for this was that the current shaman had had a vision where he was told that they should get a boy from the the um, you know the invaders they aren't white really in peru they're mestizo most of them but you know the invading um culture that was destroying beginning already to destroy the forest that they should get a child and train him in their way so that that um, child could grow up to be someone who could help them communicate with the outside world, prepare themselves, defend themselves against the outside world. They needed someone who could move between those worlds. And that's who this guy was. So he had been raised in this tradition. He was there in early 20s, I think, and he had a vision that his mother was sick and needed him. And so he left the jungle and went to Lima, I believe, where his mother was. And he tended to her as she was dying. And then he became this famous healer. Um, I think he had treated presidents and, you know, royalty and all this. He was famous throughout Latin America. Anyway, the book's called The Wizard of the Upper Amazon. Really interesting kind of low-key firsthand account of that world. Um, it's by F. Bruce Lamb, I believe. That's I've got a good memory for that sort of thing. I won't remember your name 12 seconds after you've told me, but I will remember a book I read 20 years ago. I don't know what that says about my current mental state. So I think I mentioned this episode is brought to you by Mudwater. Drink the shit. Buy the shit. It's great. It's good for you. Much better for you than coffee. And they are sponsoring this wonderful podcast, helping us have this little party that we call a podcast right here. Uh, I am in between things. I was just out in the desert at the Bombay Beach Biennale, which is a crazy event. It's still going on. I had to leave early because tomorrow I'm flying to Hawaii to hunt for the first time in my life. I've never hunted. I've never been to Hawaii and I've never been in a helicopter And within a few days, I will have done all of those. Um, So I'm flying to Hawaii in the morning. Uh, I was very fortunate. There was a hunting trip that was set up by my buddy Kyle. He did it as a favor for some um, well-known people. I won't mention names. I don't know if this is uh, public or not. I'll let you know next episode. Anyway, one of them couldn't go at the last minute, but everything was already paid for. This is like a high-end VIP, you know, flying into remote areas with guides and catered and all that. Uh, anyway, well, one of the guys couldn't go, and they all know me, and somebody said, maybe Chris can go. And so I got slotted in at the last minute. All I have to pay for is my ticket out there and back. It's a bargain, an amazing experience. I get to meet some very interesting people, spend some days in Hawaii in a tent, Uh, we're going to Molokai Island and uh, hunting Axis deer. So I've never killed anything bigger than a salmon, Uh, to my knowledge. I think I hit a deer with my car once, but as far as I know, it got up and ran away. Um, So it's going to be interesting. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it, but I've been eating meat most of my life and I feel like there's some hypocrisy there. And um, I've wanted to do this for a long time, so I'm going to do this. And then next month, I have another trip planned with Kyle and Simon Rex, and we're going to go with our bows and hunt pigs. But this is an unexpected, spontaneous trip to Molokai. And by the time you hear this, I will be in the air on the way. So wish me luck. All right, dandelion, forager. Um, Very interesting guy, has a lot of interesting thoughts on the state of the world, where we're headed, what to do about it, some possible um, responses to the dire situation we find ourselves in. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed meeting him. If you want to hear more from him, he did another episode with Anya Kotz on her podcast called A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. Um, So if uh, at the end of this you want to hear more, just uh, go over to her podcast and find the episode with Mr. Dan D. Lyon, Return to Nature on Instagram. Thanks, everybody. I'm going to play you out with a cover of What You Won't Do for Love. I forget who wrote it originally, but this is definitely a cover by Victor Wooten, who is, according to my buddy Mike, who is an amazing bass player, Victor Wooten is probably the greatest bass player alive right now um he's phenomenal um so listen carefully to this if you're into the bass you're going to dig this a lot if you got headphones put them on turn it up victor wooten is the bass player for bella check sorry bella fleck and the Flecktones. bella fleck plays banjo i went to see him in barcelona And I was expecting, like, a bluegrass concert, which is fine. Not my favorite kind of music in the world, but, you know, be interesting. Uh, What I got was an awful lot of funk because Victor Wooten and his brother are both in the band. Bella Fleck plays the banjo through all sorts of... um, synthesizers that make it sound like a cello or you know a horn section or whatever it was one of the best concerts i've ever seen in my life man anyway this is victor wooten what you won't do for love
1: We'll
3: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with uh, Mr. Dan D. Lyon. Howdy. Uh, so that's your your public name. Yeah. And what's your uh, handle and where do people find you? So
0: on uh, Instagram, it's Return to Nature, one word. On Facebook, it's Return to Nature Skills. And I also have a YouTube channel called Return to Nature Skills. And All right. What. A website, return to nature.us. There you go. Trying to push the return to nature yeah. agenda, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, and how do you describe yourself? Are you like a professional forager or what's your... Well, I basically feel like I'm just a medicine seeker. I try to go around and, and I try to expand the concept of medicine. So that can mean like community connections, that can mean uh, herbs, that can mean edible foods and mm. just really trying to seek these traditions and be a bridge between these old ways as you're familiar with and some of the newer culture, right. I try to figure out how to integrate that. So, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the idea of a professional forager. I don't even know if that's such a thing because mm. most of what I'm doing is I'm teaching kindergarten level indigenous skills, you know, what I mean? right. like I'm I'm at 5 years old. Right. And so this would be natural for our culture to have these survival skills and basic plant identification skills. So I basically just go around and trying to share a little bit of what I know and then find other people who can push that, you know, take it deeper, uh folk traditions, old people sitting in the woods somewhere, you know, I'm just really trying to find people who care.
3: Right, right. Where do you get this knowledge? I mean, obviously, you just said you're trying to find people who have it, but... Did you go to a school for this or just read a lot or did you grow up in this kind of a world?
0: Well, you know, I mean, I grew up basically two generations removed from my family farm in New Jersey. Uh And so there's a cornfield behind my house. I went out and played in nature. You know, I was born in 1983. So at that time, it was still cool and totally fine for your parents to say, get the hell out of the house. My mom had a garden. So some of my earliest memories are like sneaking into the garden, eating tomatoes and snap peas and just Mm. being admired by it. And then my dad built a sandbox and then in public property, which would never be allowed now, um, he built a tree house up in a tree. And so I would just hang out there all days and bring my GI Joes and my Ninja Turtles and Mm. play with plants. And I just thought it was totally normal. And so, you know, I think then the basic understanding that this is something that is innate to our humanness. Um, As I got older and older, realized how much more disconnected and how much more fear based it had become. Mm. So kids weren't doing that anymore. And there was no connection to like, being able to touch plants outside and not being afraid that you'll die or poison (laughs) yourself. You know, as I brought in poison hemlock from your backyard, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I did touch it. And, you know, yeah. there's some concerns about, you know, you don't want to consume several grams of it. Really? Yeah. But it's not a, you know, it's not going to jump in your house and yeah. try to strangle you <laughs> when you're sleeping. And that's almost how our culture acts these days. So yeah. a lot of it, you know, is yeah. unlearning, is is trying to pull off the, right. the propaganda and the fear that our culture has instilled.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big part of the work that I'm doing as well. Trying to uh, confront, you know, what I call the neo-Hobbesian worldview. This idea that life is constant struggle Mm -hmm. and nature is out to get us right nature is tooth and claw yeah exactly red red in tooth and claw and also our inner nature i mean that's the thing you and i were talking yesterday about the microbiome and how diversity and the external natural world is reflected Mm -hmm. in the gut and i feel like that happens on a spiritual level as well you know like if you think the natural world is a harsh uncaring you know out to get you kind of environment then yeah. it's likely you feel the same way about human nature yes your own and others and so you know, like you yourself are your worst enemy right you know?
0: we become the enemy of ourselves
3: yeah and our, our natural impulses are evil Yeah. And that's
0: the, you know, it's a psychological projection in the sense of what you believe uh, the the human nature, the fundamental core values of human nature are. That's what we'll project onto the earth, onto nature. And so that was very helpful in some ways. And we did see, you know, with the Darwinistic sort of hijacking of um, survival of the fittest Mm. has brought forth things like you know, social Darwinism to our society and the worst aspects of capitalism and all the drama that comes along with that. But, you know, it's cool. He also wrote about symbiosis. Darwin. Yes.
3: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And
0: there's so much more out there as far as how things are interacting. And so what I like to think is at that time we had crude, crude tools, our eyes. Now we're using sophisticated tools like microscopes and we're looking at bacteria and and you see a lot more symbiosis within a microbial level mm. than you do necessarily in Africa or Galapagos mm. Island Interesting or something point. like that so yeah. mammals are just one framework right. of perceiving culture because the way I see it is We sort of rejected in the, in the, in the age of enlightenment, so to speak, we sort of rejected this idea that, um, you know, ethics comes from religion. And so we quested for where else can we get an ethical map for how humans are supposed to behave. And we turned to science. But then technology sort of hijacked that, mm. and we've lost the moral and ethical compass of just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you need to. Mm. and so we've sort of, now we're doing genetically modified babies and CRISPR and you know getting into gene editing, which is an inevitable, but there needs to be some sort of ethical or, or ecologically or sustainably based perception within that, and I think we've lost that generally, you probably agree. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, If I, I'm thinking about the, what you said, that, that transition from religion to science as the source of ethical guidance in the Enlightenment, and then how that's been hijacked by technology. It's, that's an interesting idea. I, I'm going to have to uh, chew on that one for a while, I think. Yeah, so,
0: I mean, you see, for example, um, Sir Isaac Newton... You yeah. know he was also in alchemy, he was in spirituality, yeah, he was right. in mysticism right. he was not just a you know bench scientist playing right. with playing with the material right and he so, wasn't
3: a materialist, he was a spiritualist yeah. Yeah. Copernicus as well right all of them yeah. the
0: early scientists were all mystics, yeah you know? I mean even yeah. Einstein speaks in mystical <laughs> yeah. you know references at times yeah. and and that's the thing that we sort of beat out of. You know, uh, biology, but now we're actually
3: returning to that. Also psychology, you know, in around the same period historically, too, early 20th century, the whole behavioralist um, approach. Or, I mean, you could take it back to Descartes and the whole idea that animals are nothing but complex machines that don't have any sort of consciousness or uh, value as beings, right? right? As autonomous uh, beings deserving of dignity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's all really interesting stuff. I was thinking recently about the, and this relates to to this idea of symbiosis and and looking for sources of ethical guidance in the natural world, right? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about how um you know, we see an animal, like we see a lion kill a an antelope, right, on some nature special. And of course, the narration ties into this neo hobbesian thing about you know the natural world you must kill or be killed and all that right and but then it struck me that when you see a lion or a leopard or any predator that's killed an animal what do they do with it when they've got it in in their grip and it's 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 in its death throes right they lick it Mm -hmm. they lick it with this Affection, yeah, Yeah, like the way they lick their cubs or lick each other, and there's like this. It it's always creeped me out because it seems to be an expression of love Mm -hmm. to the victim. So it's like this creepy Jeffrey Dahmer kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's somewhat mercab. Yeah, but then I, I was thinking about it recently, and I thought, wait a minute, like when I'm hungry. Like, if I've been out hiking all day, right, and I'm really hungry, and then my friend and I are like, let's go to that really good pizza place and get a pizza and some beer. Mm-hmm. And then we go, and you get that first beer, and the pizza comes, and it's all bubbly. And I don't, I mean, you're a vegetarian, probably. You don't do pizza, but. No, I do pizza. Do you, <laughs> <or> <laughs> good pizza. Pizza-tarian. Without chemicals. But anyway, the point is, something you're really hungry for, yeah. you've worked for it, you get it. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic feeling. Yeah. It's a feeling of love. It's a feeling yeah. of life. Like, okay. I'm going to survive yeah. another day. Would we consider that like an oxytocin rush or, you know, dopamine and oxytocin? Sure. I'm sure something. like the hormones that are released yeah. are all pleasure hormones. Right. Uh, related to pleasure. But my point is that it's not like, oh, you know, you're my victim. Right. It's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat. I'm yeah. happy. There's yeah. like a, and you think about the American Indians, you know, they yeah, the, kill an animal. The sacred hunt. They thank the spirit of yeah. the animal for sacrificing yes. itself. And so there is this sense of gratitude. Yeah. And so it's not that the natural world is harsh and uh, full of this, you know, violence and murder and mayhem. It's our interpretation of it yeah. inserts that evil. Well, could it be a definition of they're doing it because they have to,
0: and we are often doing it because we want to, or maybe that's the projection on, say, a hunter, right? So, an animal or a native person has to because they'll starve to death, and we can sort of go to the grocery store and supplement with that. So, maybe the sacredness is also like, I have to do this because I'm going to survive, which creates a more nurturing... Experience.
3: Yeah, the, my problem with that, the the hesitation I have with that framing of it is, is that it suggests that the native person is reluctant, but forced to do it. As well, a, hungry, <laughs> well hungry, right? Like yeah. I don't want to kill this deer, but I have to because I have to eat. As right. opposed to my hunting and killing this deer is part of the natural order of things mm-hmm. in which I am a Embedded. grateful participant. Yes, yes. You know what I mean?
0: Right. It's not necessarily reluctance, uh, you know, and I, I totally yeah. see that. But this this sense of where does the sacred come from within that? Why was it almost innately obvious that it was a sacred thing in, you know, prehistory or whatever? And now we get to a point where, you know, even eating the best, highest Levels of foods from the grocery store isn't seen as sacred, you know,
3: right? Because we have no relationship with the living thing. Yes. That has become that hamburger. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I
0: think to take life, even if it is like growing your own vegetables, it really changes a lot. Yeah. You know, about how we interact with the entire capitalistic world. Yeah. You know, and one choice to right. grow your own kale. It changes a lot about how you perceive where kale is coming from and yeah. the conditions in Mexico
3: and the you know factory farming and the whole deal i think it probably also changes on a microscopic chemical level i'll bet it changes the digestive process yeah i i wouldn't be surprised if if it was found that we actually absorb more nutrients from a tomato that we've grown in the backyard mm-hmm. than from a tomato we bought at the store. Yeah. Same tomato, yeah. right? Same, same nutrient availability. Right. But because we have this personal relationship. Yeah. I mean, I know I savor stuff that I've right. grown in a way that I don't stuff yeah. I've bought. Yeah.
0: And there's also a case to be made that through the industrial process of bringing that tomato to you, there are microbial deaths of all sorts. And so what comes is not necessarily living rich with microbes and and soil residues and all these things.
3: Pesticides and yeah.
0: Yeah. One of the things I'm thinking about a lot recently is how you know the microbes within our bodies are a sociocratic or democratic voting process of chemistry so they are secreting some degree of our needs wants and desires they have a uh, an opinion they have a say within the organism that's interesting you know, yeah. so they are sending chemical signals up into the brain right and whether it's serotonin as now we see 90 percent of our serotonin it's is created gut. in our guts yeah. by microbes which are shitting out things like serotonin vitamin b right. vitamin d that's all happening Having a greater effect on the brain um, than I think we 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 recognize.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I often think of the body as a community, right? Uh, You know, a system of interacting organisms. If you removed everything from your body that doesn't have your DNA, you'd be dead immediately, right? but I never thought of it in t- political terms. Right. I, that, that's really, that's an interesting take on it. Yeah, you know, the heart has a, a say and the head has a say. And right, the, the, and all those The gut has a say of, and the, yeah. the groin definitely has a say. Oh, yeah, that's got veto power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the head, too. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, I had a guy on the podcast, I uh, uh, can't remember his name right now. He's um, Patrick House. Patrick House, he's a... Uh, Neuroscientist who specializes in uh, brain parasites oh. and we were talking a lot about that you mm-hmm. know this illusion of control right. and uh, all these different parasites that get into your brain yeah. and hijack your decision making process right. you yeah. know like certainly we're talking about the toxoplasmosis that mm-hmm. you know do you know about that With, a little bit yeah. gets into it gets into rodents mm-hmm. and gets into their brains and and they start to become attracted, like sexually attracted to the smell of cat urine. Uh-huh. So they go where cats are,
0: and
4: then get and the, killed by them,
3: and get killed by them yeah. because the toxoplasmosis can only reproduce in, in the cats. In cats, yeah, exactly. Isn't that crazy? That's a
0: very sophisticated, uh, yeah, uh, hunting technique. Yeah,
3: <laughs> exactly. Well, and there are lots of these these brain parasites yeah. that take over the animal and guide the animal to where the parasite needs to be right and toxoplasmosis in humans uh people who are infected with it their rates of suicide depression mm-hmm. violence and um auto accidents mm-hmm. are much higher yeah it's really interesting you it know is. like what is going on we have no fucking idea what's going on right
0: yeah well those microbes are much more sophisticated and much more sort of influential than i think we've you know, we came out of
3: this paradigm that men is superior, and all
0: these germs right. can
3: just die from our. Well, it's chemicals. this separation from nature, yeah. right? We the, the nature's out there. Yeah. We are these angelic right. creatures floating separate yes. from the natural world. It doesn't affect us. Yeah. Well, like you and I were talking yesterday, it seems like um, so much of the new thinking is actually a return to where you know return to the obvious return
0: to nature <laughs> yeah
3: like come on you're yes. not separate from nature man yeah. like kids with asthma that it's right. turning out that why is that oh it's because they're not exposed to microbes right. when they're little it's their immune system coming, coming out of the
0: reverse exactly. so much of it is coming out of the reverse of what we need to be doing so the idea of a war on microbes that's what i was talking about sort of that wild love apothecary the other day yeah. and the war on microbes is is something that really takes us out immunologically from the ecosystem that we live in yeah. the more we rely on external substances to take care of us or sterilizing agents the more they actually end up sort of fighting back but it's not fighting back they're just creating novel responses to being damaged you know and as a result right. we're boosting microbes and parasitic infections and i i also look at it like sort of a ca- cleaning the countertop phenomenon like when you wipe out the countertop with bleach things that are horrible like staph will have the upper hand exactly because it's able to be uh, able it's in a threshold that can deal with more uh, toxicity and
3: that seems to be a general rule Uh, i know there are exceptions but i've read a lot of stuff also with antibiotics right right? we the the beneficial microbes are most susceptible to the stuff we use so all we're doing is opening up space for the bad ones to come come in in.
0: and it's sort of like you know i mean to use a metaphor carpet bombing you know a terrorist country right in the sense of like oh that will help yeah now anybody who was innocent you just blew their father and mother up right they will then take on an extremist worldview to fight back against something that's attacking you
3: you're right and and that example is not far fetched. That mindset is right. what leads to both those behaviors. Yes. It's a yeah. it's a common mindset of our
0: society and it, I don't know what we could call it sterilizing or you know this idea of 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 getting yeah. <laughs> I mean You know, genetic cleansing, racial cleansing, bacterial cleansing, wiping out biodiversity in any regard doesn't seem to be very beneficial for the entirety of the organism because biodiversity is what gives you the genome to continue to evolve. Right. The more foods, the more diversity of foods we're eating, the more neuronal firing we get, the more microbes in the bacteria can respond to unique chemistry. Hmm. So what our history has been since basically monocultures of grain is refining the inputs, refining the inputs, refining the inputs down to a very narrow chemical ratio, you know. And so that's why I'm into wild foods because, like every single one of those, uh, I know I have neuron receptors for all the chemistry within them because we've been co-evolving with them. Right. You know, until 1950.
3: Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's interesting that that connection between you know the the plane flying over the cornfields dropping the fungicide and the herbicide and the carpet bombing of Somalia. Yeah it's the same thing. It's wiping it, out it,
0: biodiversity Yeah, because you know, what is Somalian culture? It it has an, an added value to the greater whole of humanity. Sure. They've gone through unique expressions and experiences. They have unique microbial culture. They have unique plants. They have unique medicines in their jungles and forests and yeah. you know, it's all being wiped out. You right.
3: Know? Yeah. And then there's also the religious impulse yes. to, to spread and wipe out. I mean the, the way the Christians, you, burned alive anybody who had a, a different view of right. spirituality or yeah. healing or access yeah. to psychedelics or any of that right it's,
0: religious fundamentalism or totalitarianism yeah you know it really yeah. ends up being this idea that like a one 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 color is the right. only thing that i
3: feel safe with monotheism monoculture yeah. monogamy yeah we gotta we gotta stop the monos yeah Fucking mono, man. Diversity. Diversity's where it's at, yeah. Yeah.
0: But then how do we embrace diversity and not sort of get into the place of... um, You know, like, it's interesting. We look at, you know, how structures are in society. You see Chinatown in this area and the Italians here and the this there and the that there. Mm. And then the sort of fear of all just, like, smothering that together in a melting pot seems to be something that maybe the established... Culture that we live in is very afraid of And feels like Mm. there will be some sort of Threat to our
3: greater cultural Alright so then Is this leading us It's kind of ironic in a sense Because You know we're talking about American foreign Policy and American Approach to food and As being uh, Insistent upon You know wiping out Diversity and yet America is this country Founded on the notion, at least ostensibly, right, that diversity is to be celebrated and welcomed. They had a few blind spots. A few blinds, Yeah, except for the blacks and the Indians. Or the women. And the women and the gays and the Jews and the Germans and the Italians and the Irish, except for them. And the terrorists <laughs> and, the, and the Japs. and the- Oh, yeah. The Japs and the chinks. And yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, still on paper. Yeah. Now, look. I, I'm not naive. I know that most of that was just like, oh, we've got this big continent. We need cheap labor. Come work here sure. and, you know, yeah. we'll get rich and off the American your dreams, the American dream. Yeah, the yes. American dream. But it did work for yes. a long time because yes. there was all this, you know, natural resources to be exploited, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just interesting. Like, you know, my, my wife is from Africa. A lot, I've lived overseas most of my life. And there is this. Respect for America, or at least there was yes. until yes. you know the last thirty or forty years right. um, as a place where you can move to America and be American, yes, I could live in Spain the rest of my life i 'll never be Spanish. Yeah. You can move to Japan as a child, right. speak perfect Japanese. You'll never be Japanese, yeah. you know? Yeah. So there is that something in the DNA of the United States that right. does accept diversity in a way that I don't think any other country does. It's true. And
0: and how do we resolve the inherent hypocrisy of that was only created on destroying a diverse culture that already was here? Yeah. And so I don't know that it can ever manifest in a healthy way with the inherent hypocrisy of how it was built. Like some something of the spirit of yeah. the place yeah. is fundamentally broken because of the ritual that birthed it forth. So, you know, there's there's what it says on the Statue of Liberty, gimme, you're tired, you're poor, you're weary, and that's how it has been, and there has been this inclusionary situation minus Native Americans, you know, minus indigenous people of this land. They didn't really have a fair share, share or shot. They weren't embraced into the culture, and so how can you have a culture which celebrates diversity based on, you know, a devastation of diversity
3: yeah well isn't there hypocrisy inherent in everything though yes but are
0: are we to resolve it are we are we to figure out our way through it or just sort of leave it as it is is that a cultural process do we just sort of leave it hanging um, because I think yeah, then it, it's, I don't know. Good question. it starts festering, you know what I mean? And so now we have these sort of standing rock or these these movements that once mm. it gets suppressed and, and festers, I think it comes out, you know, in sort of uh, more and more toxic ways if it doesn't get met or addressed.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I was thinking you're talking about, like, is there a, a healthy way for these things to manifest, you know, given the... The very flawed foundations of of this country and this culture, I was thinking of blues and rock and roll right, yeah. which come out of one of the greatest crimes in yeah. you know the history of humanity, yes. slavery
4: mm-hmm.
3: and yet those uh, that that kind of art form the the rock and roll the blues the jazz. They took over the world. It forced a certain level of respect. Respect and also liberation. Yeah. I mean, the first time white people ever danced yeah. without choreography. Oh my
0: God, that's such an interesting thing to consider. Yeah. Like to actually get free in your to body. To just move. And not move be in response like a,
3: a formal movement. Right. Yeah. So black people had been doing that forever right. in Africa. Yeah. But white people had never done that until the blues and jazz and rock and roll. Yeah. You know... The, And so that, uh, certainly I think we would agree that that's a beautiful, beneficial, it's one of the best things that's happened in in human consciousness, right? right? And yet it comes out of this incredible suffering. So maybe there is some redemptive possibility. Yes. You know, I I, I don't know. Well,
0: notice it was led by music and I think, you know, mm. 60s was very much led by music as well. So obviously music seems to be a, a very powerful force in you know i would i would use an alchemical word transmuting mm-hmm. that suffering into something of a social and cultural shift music
3: and sex cuz you think and drugs and rock and roll <laughs> i <know>? mean seriously <laughs> yeah right like uh jazz comes from the root word jazz. jizz yeah uh-huh. come it means to ejaculate right I've rock and jassing,
0: roll which means to fuck
3: yeah and and rock and rolls to yeah. fuck right and uh yeah, Jelly Roll Morton, mm. one of the first blues guitarists. Yeah, Jelly Roll is pussy, mm. right? It's oh, like geez. it's all sex. Rock yeah. around the clock tonight, like yeah. that's not about dancing, right? You know,
0: it's, well, it also yeah. is, and it also isn't. You know, I mean, well, it
3: became yeah. once it got into the hands of you know white DJs. Right. But right. yeah, this this anyone who wants to uh, look this stuff up, there's a great essay called "Hear That Long Snake Moan." By Michael Ventura. Squeeze My Lemon? You mean that Led Zeppelin song is not about
0: lemon?
4: (laughs) You got my juices all out on the
3: floor? (laughs) Exactly. You've been squeezing my lemon, baby. Yeah, yeah, Hear That Long Snake Moan by Michael Ventura. It's online. There's a PDF online somewhere. Uh, He gets into this whole thing about... You know, the origins of rock and roll and jazz coming out of this West African tradition mm-hmm. going through the West Indies actually infused with some Gaelic mm. uh, culture because there I'd never heard this before, but there were 100,000 Irish women and children sold as slaves in the West yes. Indies. Mm. So that's why you have like the Jamaican accent sounds like an Irish Hmm. brogue right oh, Very
0: interesting. sounds like nothing else see. from yeah. that area it's because yeah. of the
3: irish slaves right 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 even very bob marley was a half white i believe right yeah know? his father was a white man yeah yeah interesting stuff yeah the, right. there's uh, i remember there's something about the he also talks about voodoo as being uh, a syncretic mix of west african spirituality yeah. and Irish traditional pre-Christian cool. kind of uh, pagan, right? Also, the
0: banjo comes from an African instrument.
3: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They say it's the only American instrument, but it's actually African as well.
0: You know, and yeah. it's also this this idea of syncretic, you know, movements, and that's where. So due to these tragedy, tragedies where two cultures are kind of forced together, yeah. they create some sort of syncretic religion or, you know, depending on how forceful Christianity was at the time, they try to take what they had and integrate it. So you see that mm. in Mexico, you see that in South America, right. you see it all over the the world. And then in, in America, it's kind of hard to get that to, to happen because how do we take some of the old traditions, especially from Europe, right? So mm. I think a lot about pre-Roman, you know, mm culture. What, what do we have of that? We have a very poor, piss poor historical account of what our ancestors were before Rome. Right. And any of the accounts are made by racists, bigoted, <laughs> biased, yeah, <right. laughs> totalitarian. The only people who religious. are literate. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so how do we take all these cultural phenomenon we're experiencing, like from ayahuasca to native American sweat lodges to whatever pagan roots we have to whatever's happening in America to all the musical things. And how do we put that all together? Together to some sort of syncretic thing that makes sense for everybody.
3: Yep. Oh, cheers. Howdy. Just adjusting that because you're cool. looking at me. And yeah, I like looking at you. <laughs> you're a looker. Well, while you're talking to me. You're anyway. a looker. Yeah, so how do we do that? How do we take those? I mean, I, I find a lot of frustration in that when I see, you know, for example, I was at a party. I was at a birthday party a couple of months ago and there was a guy there who had... Uh, Hape, you know the tobacco yeah. thing, yeah. and so people are at this party. They're drinking. Yeah, it's a party. It's yeah. in Venice, you know. And that guy, he comes in and he's got his sacred substance that he brought from Peru or wherever yeah. it was, and he's going around offering it to people who've been drinking beer and right. wine. And, and blowing this shit up people's and acting like it's this sacred Yes and but there's no there's no ritual around it. Set and Th- setting. There's yeah. no yeah, no no from my perspective, very little respect Yes for the substance, for the culture right. that it came from. Yeah. Even for the people that he was offering it to. Right. And so he gives it to this one guy, blows it up this guy's nose. And then the next thing you know, this guy's projectile vomiting, oh. having a terrible experience, mm-hmm. had to go home. Uh-huh. It's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Right. Yeah, What are you doing? It's not that the substance is bad. It's not that he's bad. Right. But you're not thinking this shit through, you well, know? Well, you think about how, I mean, so I think a
0: lot about how the drug policy in America and the sex policy has been basically don't ask, don't tell Phenomenon. and So most of the shamanic download that we can grasp is figuring out how to eat detura when you're 15 years old or some
3: yeah.
0: horribly bad shit because yeah. they don't have anywhere to turn to. There's not like cultural elders. There's right. not someone good point. to help guide a psychedelic or Because the knowledge
3: experience. itself has been suppressed. Yes. It's yeah. been
0: completely taken away. I mean look at culture all over the world, for example, in the Vedas you have Soma. Yeah. Oh coincidence. We don't know what the sacrament was. You right. know the the Eucharist in in Catholicism, you know, what was it? Now yeah, it's Lesion a paper wafer. Fields. Like we have yeah, exactly. We have a historical account where all of the substances that were used are completely erased from the form that still exists. Mm. And there's really no way of having a healthy psychedelic culture in this country which is weird because we're supposed to be so first world and so you know intelligentsia but we've never really been able to have that conversation. Um, because it's all about reefer madness and all this kind of fear-based shit. And mm. then the same is true for sexual expression and yeah. sexual experience is just never talked about. And so we have a culture of of complete ignorance. And so yeah. when you finally hear of something like HAPE and you want those roots, we don't have the framework to kind of dig into those roots. Like what is what is an ethical and a, a respectful way of integrating And asking for teachings from elders, especially when they're not from your own culture.
3: Right. Yeah. How do you go down there without being exploitative and, you know, or a tourist or,
0: you know, like Bruce Perry was talking about that sort of like going into that culture fundamentally changes something about their mood and their interaction. It's like microbial, you know, uh, changes. And I think that there's a great pull towards altering our consciousness which is a good impulse um but our framework has been you know timothy leary tune in uh, turn, turn, on, turn on drop, and drop out. out and yeah. that drop out part is a very interesting you know mandate on the world and what he may have said is get connected or you know yeah get conscious
3: well drop out i think what he was referring to was drop, drop out, out of, of the game. well i think people took it as drop out of society yeah well the the system right yeah. drop out of the tie wearing yeah. shaving alarm right. clock using yeah. bullshit system yeah. which yeah i'm in favor we're of. in favor uh, I, I, I never dropped in then they're
0: done that right? right so now our culture <laughs> yeah. has done that ritual right and then the
3: question is like now these these
0: profound psychedelics are coming into our culture and michael pollan you know, how to change your mind. I mean, that's a big deal as far as people who have some clout in the culture starting to say, wait a minute, it's not just like jumping out of windows and thinking you can fly and seeing pink elephants come out of your closet and all this. And, and that impulse, you know, Terrence McKenna talked about the archaic revival or something. We do have this desire to get back to root space living, but there's not really a framework because it's been repressed. I mean, it took a long time to get beaten out of you that food doesn't just come out of the ground. Think about how much propaganda and how much effort it took for people to drive past thousands and thousands of acres of food and medicine to go to a pharmacy, a
3: CVS. Or oh, a I grocery see where you're going. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Suppression of the knowledge to create the market. Right. I mean, so much of the civilizational process is to, destroy or render invisible that which is free yeah so that people will enter the marketplace and buy your inferior cheap copy right of it right i think about that in terms of uh you know like the the colonial process of going to some place like guatemala in the 40s -hmm. and you know united fruit company and saying okay uh you can't you can't live off the land anymore because right. we own this land yeah. and we're cutting down all the trees. We're planting bananas, right. but you can come and work for us right. and we'll pay you in these chits that you can use in the company store to buy this shitty ass processed food that'll make your kids sick yeah. and lock you into the system. Anybody thinks slavery ended 150 right. years ago doesn't know we what the fuck's weaseled, going on. We
0: just weaseled into a more distant form of it. And, you know, I think about that as sort of a colonial uh, uh, industrial agriculture method. And so it's going to, you know, indigenous people, first of all, screw with their head, tell them what, what they believe is wrong. Yeah. Tell them that everything they believed is, is going to make them go to hell, right. scare the shit out of them. Right. Tell them you have this great grain,
3: yeah. which they can
0: grow instead of hunt and gather, you know, and then get them on agriculture. And then the great part of it is, and you can't have any, And we're going to actually export that. And you could have this like cheaper garbage or fend for yourself and eat rats. And then that creates the global, you know, capitalist market. But it's all founded on, you know, slave labor, child slave labor, um, harsh working conditions, um, which is why all of our industry left the U.S. Because we've had revolutions over trying to get. Fair wages and equal health Unions. care and union movements where yeah. people got bloody and people mm-hmm. were in the streets. It was not an easy way to get that. And as soon as we got that, then they close the factories, export yeah. them all to some other country.
3: It's amazing. What a bummer! What a bummer. <laughs> Hope to bum you all out out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's. Uh, so that's the problem, right? So yeah.
0: So you know, what's that, the solution? Well, as a you know, a doctor has to study disease. Yeah. So it's it's impractical to say, oh, if I study healing. Right? I, I will find solutions. So we, we have to kind of go into some of the shadow of how things have Definitely. been. Definitely. Um, yeah. Because there is so much blindness. Like, for example, you could go to the grocery store and it can have a nice sticker on it. Like, whatever it says, vegan, raw, gluten free, like avocados, you know, can have a sticker that says gluten free, <laughs> you know, at this at this
3: day and That's age. That's great. They got all the gluten out. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Transmutated it with their minds. Yeah. And so the question is like, All right, how do we scale that down? And I think that's where, like, the only solution I can come up to is start teaching foraging. You know what I mean? Get people to realize that there's food and medicine all over the ground, and some of it's profoundly helpful. You know, they say 70% of all pharmaceuticals are still derived from plants. Yeah. So I like to think about a tractor trailer coming in behind that big pharma, you know, building and they're like sneaking in willow bark, whatever, to make aspirin. Aspirin, yeah. And aspirin has known to cause pinprick holes in the intestinal wall, lead to leaky gut, irritable bowel syndrome, things like that. Um, And willow bark has not been. But what we have is, oh, well, willow bark is inferior and it's like sort of pretend Mm -hmm. and sort of like woo woo. You know?
3: Yeah, because it can't be quantified. That You know Andrew Weil's work? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's one of his things that he wrote about way back in the 70s and 80s, how you take... Uh, willow bark and you extract uh, a what is it a, silicy- a salicylic salicylic acid, acid yeah. right or you take the coca leaf and you extract cocaine, cocaine. Yeah. you know or you know the opium poppy and right. you, so you extract one molecule or one one chemical constituent you remove the, all the syncre- or syn- synergistic, synergistic other chemistry. Yeah. exactly. So,
0: and the body knows chains. It
3: doesn't know individuated chemicals.
0: Exactly, so injecting right. vitamin C into your bloodstream is very different than eating a whole bunch of oranges. Right. And there's right. synergistic components within you. So it's not about how many I use of vitamin C. It's about assimilation, right. Right. which is also associated with the gut bacteria. Right. You know, how they help you assimilate all the foods that you eat. Right. We're like cows in that way. You know, yeah. we're feeding the microbes. And they're distributing right. the chemistry into the bloodstream. Exactly. And so, n- instead of thinking of molecular chains, this is all part of that, like removal of biodiversity. We've gotten to the idea of isolated ingredients thinking, which I think is another form of totalitarianism. Mm. You know, in the sense of there is one superior chemical in this willow plant, and everything else in it is just evolutionary bullshit.
3: Right. Junk DNA. Right. This idea of active ingredient. Yes. They're all active. They're all active. Yeah. So, what's the active
0: ingredient in turmeric? Turmeric. <laughs> that's
3: what it's been doing the last million right. years
0: right. and if it had right. chemistry that was irrelevant to its evolution it probably would have died according to survival mm. of the fittest darwinism would say right so it's the same with the gallbladder the appendix all these organs right. that they're like oh yeah they're just junk like when i was a kid they were taking out tonsils right
3: for no reason yeah, yeah. just
0: because it's a procedure and that that gets you down to you know uh how those isolated ingredients are able to then be patented and so when they're mm. when they're pulling right you know so there's the pharmaceutical industry so which economics. isolates yeah. creates a tag on the molecular chain, then can patent that right because you can't patent anything naturally occurring, and then the nutraceutical companies they patent the standardization so forty four percent curcumin in the turmeric, then that's able to be patented right hmm. so a lot of it is for the patent game, right you know you can't patent something
3: in nature. How did you become so radicalized <laughs> Did somebody hurt you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean... Because you're pretty young. How old are you? 35. 35. Like, you're pretty young to be this tuned in and uh, skeptical of the modern world. I mean, I was, but I I had, like, older, bitter mentors who, like, you know, helped me tune into how fucked it was. I just think that having a connection with nature, Hmm. like... Just
0: by the fact that my parents never scare the shit out of me about going outside (laughs) is a huge step, you know? And I I was, you know, my grandma was, you know, a mystic, a weirdo. Oh, really? She was into crystals and tarot cards. Oh, okay. You know, so she just seemed to help me preserve my intuitive feeling. And then, you know, it hurt me going to public school. (laughs) Yeah, that'll do it. And that just felt like such a terrible way of inspiring me to grow and learn and so i dropped out of high school uh, and i became in New jersey yeah, yeah i became a book nerd i mean i read more than anybody i knew and right. the internet you know i got when i was 13 and right. so you just learned to like watch documentaries and right. smoke cannabis and <laughs> you know start mm. experimenting with mushrooms and you too will be a weird <laughs> <laughs> fringy <laughs> <laughs> Next
3: thing you know, you had dreadlocks and a van. Yeah, and yeah. like
0: you know, Terence McKenna and Alan Watts right. and Joseph Campbell and yeah. just anybody I can get my hands on. Napster, remember that?
3: Napster, yeah. Well, Downward. that wasn't that for like stealing music or something. No,
0: <laughs> I, I I used it for audio lectures. You know? ah. I I was trying to like me- learn how to meditate with Alan Watts.
3: And Alan stuff, Watts. You know? So my buddy Stanley Krippner was friends with Alan Watts cool. and Joseph Campbell. Nice. Yeah, a lot of these, like I have a one-step connection to a lot of these, you know, right. pillars of the counterculture. Timothy yeah. Leary, Ram yeah. Dass, all these guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody's got to do
0: something with this incarnation. Yeah. It's a short time here. You're right. And then, I don't know, you know, as far as being radical, it's kind of an interesting framework. I've never really seen any of this as radical because uh, it seems to just be self-evident if you if you just look at what's going on it's you know i mean i went to india in 2012 and you know looking at plants everything you wipe your finger on it it's just soot mm. it's just they're burning everything coal yeah. they're still on coal and it's like that's not good to breathe in so i think a lot of it is just preserving the natural basic understanding like if if a five-year-old was the president and you'd be like they'd be like wait so cutting down trees you know Causes carbon monoxide to be released in the air, and we'll get less oxygen. you know it's not very hard to realize and then they'd say, no, don't cut down trees we We need to breathe so these are very fun we're at we're we're basically back to the Aboriginal sense of wait a minute, like we need food, water, and air and earth and materials out of the earth so that we can survive as a species, so that's pretty much. We're back to that global question of can we still have drinking water on Mm, this planet for the next hundred years or let's even say for the next 10 years, you know, or will it all be poison? I mean, we are so close to the ocean deoxygenating, you know, and that's game over. Yeah. And it's like fish. You could have all kinds of food out of the ocean. You could have seaweed. You could have a paradise of foods to to work with.
3: Well, and and this insect apocalypse, uh, just in the life. You know about those mosquitoes?
0: They're going after genetically modifying mosquitoes.
3: Oh, yeah. And they they just release some in a lab by accident or something? No big deal. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then they'll crossbreed, and who knows the effects. So the tinkerers, you know, is that a lack of an ethical map? Is that just blindness Mm. and egotism, or is it? known like because sometimes i think if we can realize that that's not good for the trajectory of the planet do they ever think about that
3: yeah i i mean i you and i talked about this a little bit yesterday when we met in the cafe like i my thinking in this area is that it's not directed by human beings the trajectory of history is happening on on a scale that's incomprehensible to us. We're like ants in an ant colony. Yeah. You know, there's no one leading the ant colony. There's no one saying, okay, now we're going to go over here. Nobody
0: has it figured it out. Nobody.
3: Uh, nobody We're all just doing our little thing. And that on some sort of fractal level, that results in a macro movement of culture.
0: The ship is being... driven by basically blindness or something well because can, i mean
3: it's, it's can blind on our level a, yeah you know on our i i don't think we can i think there, i've talked about this before on the podcast i think but it's such a great image um there's this animal in north africa a uh, grasshopper mm-hmm. that um they live dispersed they're peaceful chill and when the rains come and the grasslands grow really quickly, right, and all this grass sprouts, they propagate really quickly. The mm-hmm. population rises. Right. Then the rains stop. The area with grass starts to diminish and yeah. get close. And so the population density of these creatures becomes mm-hmm. higher and higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And it reaches a point where epigenetic changes mm-hmm. kick in mm-hmm. and they totally change. Their yeah. bodies change. Yeah. I'm talking about individuals not yeah. over generations yeah. right front legs get shorter back legs get longer coloring changes shape of their head changes uh-huh. sh- shape of the thorax changes and behaviorally they're even more radical they become cannibalistic hyper aggressive right mm. and they swarm mm-hmm. and these are the this is the biblical plague of locusts mm. that swarm all over the middle east mm-hmm. eat everything mm-hmm. destroy everything yeah until there's nothing left, and then 95% of them die, yeah. and the 5% that are left go back to being grasshoppers. Right. To me, that's the shift from hunter-gathering to agriculture. We've yes. become a different creature, yes. and there are there are memories. they are like genetic memories of the grasshopper phase still in us, right. but we're swarming, and I don't think any of those locusts could ever, even the, the rare ones who were like, fuck, we're making a big mistake here. Right. Well, in all fairness, though locusts are not
0: able to podcast, they're not able to to, to intellectually. <laughs> but they can fly, and we can't, man. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, we can use tools. So don't get all superior about the locusts. <laughs> no, but it's interesting because we're often interested in uh, refuting mind as some unique gift. So, for mm-hmm. a moment, let's just say right. mind is some unique gift right. in, in a certain context. Sure. And we have the ability of self-reflection. We have the ability of analysis of of pattern in ways that are somewhat unique. And that does not mean we're superior to any other species, but it does mean like, what do we do with a higher functioning mind? And then what do you think the role of psychedelics could be within in engendering higher functioning mind to understand that, wait, maybe there is a way to sort of steer the ship in a more productive way. And then also what role is the internet as far as that? Because, you know, once I thought during any state of the union address, Imagine if Bob Marley, John Lennon, Martin Luther King, you name them, was doing a group webinar. Yeah. Would anybody watch the State of the Union? Mm. And like, so cultural figures, right? There are are beings who sort of crack the matrix to some degree to wedge open certain parts of things. Right. And I think as things heat up. We're going to see more of that. And it's going to be sort of like the end is nigh, like crazy people on the streets to some degree, right. you know, but it's also how, how does this ship get collectively steered? And I think about the most democratic option. Imagine if, for example, the government was an open source website where you could actually vote based on policies. Everybody was able to vote based on policies. And it could be like, should we frack the national forest and no. take a vote? And every single person could actually go on there and just press the button. And granted, it wouldn't be rigged and there wouldn't be any you know, flubbing of the situation. But could that make differences that we have not perceived yet, foreseen You know, that's kind of a big deal. Fuck
3: yeah, but the powers that be would never let that happen, right? Yeah. But, but you know, I I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, but I actually do agree with you that I think I've talked about this a lot. I think podcasting may be the most radical transformation or or innovation in terms of communication technology since the printing press. Guerrilla
0: radio. I mean, we're taking over. So now national television, right? has camera crews and 300 people in post-production and this and that. You could do half that on your iPhone these days. Yeah. You know, and that's a profound gift.
3: You're right. And somebody like Joe Rogan has become, you know, one of those cultural figures you're talking about where he, he is shaping the national conversation he has elon musk on his show lights right. up a joint and it's international Big news deal. yeah like the head of tesla is shooting rockets into space yeah smokes a fucking joint yeah on youtube and the whole world wobbles wobbles yeah you're right and it, so it's it getting more the and more yeah uh capturable michael like Pollan that. could not have written his book without joe rogan think about that say why because Joe oh, opened the door, opened for, the door yeah. to legitimate yeah, conversation on large scale. Yeah about psychedelics yeah. like Joe's been talking about right. DMT and in yeah. acid you know yeah. when his podcast Machine was elves. getting 30,000 yeah. downloads yeah. and now it's getting a million per yeah. episode or more yeah. and he's still talking about it yeah why because there's no company breathing breathing down his neck telling him he can't talk about yes. that right because right. it's not the New York Times it's not ABC mm-hmm. so yeah I mean I'm not saying Joe you know single-handedly is changing the world but through this innovative technology that you're talking about right. with podcasting, you do get, I think, a more it's it's almost like a media um, reflection of the kind of political system that you were imagining just right. now. Right. Yeah. Where people can actually vote open on things. source. Yes, it's open source. People right. can say. I choose to
0: listen to Joe. Right. And that's very much under threat. And I think that's a, you know, public message to everyone, you know, following things uh, of the FCC and also the connection of the, you know, uh, Senate with sort of rules and regulations about mm. censorship and right. things like this is all stuff we need to take really yeah. uh, 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 mindfully because right. Right. this may be a blip so I saw this, you know, I was in the Could music be. scene right? Mm. and so, you know, the idea of music is, you know, you get a record contract, you do what the, they tell you We broke out of that for a couple decades, you know, and underground music was Mm -hmm. a thing where you can make your own money You could do your own tours. You can say no. Thank you to that whole thing. And now we're back to Spotify and you get 20 cents a download and so they found a way. Like as soon as they lost the grasp of that, dude,
3: if you got twenty cents a download, yeah, you are getting like a twentieth, you know, two ten thousandth of a cent per download. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, point taken. Anyway, so, I, I sorry. Exactly. So but that's that's the whole. So they
3: control the the medium again.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like you you let the rope loose a little bit, and then you cull it back in once you understand exactly the playing field. Right. You know, and so now we're in a position where we have this sort of open technology and it's a window in time and you know like I've seen for example Torrent you know that all was a big thing for a couple years and it's mostly refined now you know Um, I know that there was a my friend was playing reggae at a bar and the some of it was Bob Marley's music and they actually the record company a representative came to tell that bar that they'd actually have to pay for him to play those songs, and so this is where the freedom of expression is 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 something that we need to sort of hold the line on. So you got to
3: pay to cover a yeah. Bob Marley song. Yeah,
0: because the album, uh, uh, sorry, the record label held rights, <clears throat> you know, to his his music.
3: But I, I thought I didn't know you had to pay to cover. Like in a bar. That's I crazy. I mean, The weird thing sure. is I was
0: Instagram-living it like two days before they showed up. So that's
3: pretty weird, too. I mean... You think they picked it up online? Not necessarily. So? Uh, but
0: it's just as we see the <laughs> smartphone being yeah. self-monitoring and right. tracking device. So we are now exposing ourselves to more of our intimate nature as a society, as individual humans, than we ever have. And that's sort of the 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 bone right that we're being given so yeah it's fun it's we're doing podcasting we're we're expressing ourselves but at the same time we're also contributing to the algorithms yeah we're also allowing
3: the we're being harvested yes yeah. our
0: our our intelligence our thoughts our dreams our hopes our aspirations our fears our beliefs our political views are being crunched numerically yeah. by the machine yeah
3: oh man Make sorry
0: me, to end on a depressing
3: it's <laughs> <laughs> true I was just thinking welcome to the machine that, uh, yeah great Pink Floyd song
4: welcome yeah
3: that's great to about the music industry. industry yes yeah yeah, yeah they're fantastic uh, so I mean it's funny we've been talking for almost an hour cool. and uh, I feel like we haven't even like really addressed what I thought we were <laughs> going to talk about cool. which is the whole foraging thing mm-hmm. right like so you know you're so okay you dropped out of high school Mm -hmm. then what'd you do uh then i basically hermited out
0: played the guitar Mm -hmm. uh set up my stereo to where i could play guitar to all my heroes the doors jimi hendrix whatever it was and i just woodshedded and i read carlos castaneda books and got into Terrence McKenna
3: Journey to Ishlan. it's my favorite the yeah. third one
0: yeah I mean there's good yeah. things and there's crazy things in those
3: books also Stanley my mentor buddy Stanley knew Castaneda uh. actually personally knew him yeah there's yeah. all kinds of controversy and drama there but read it, it as fiction yes Let's, read right. it as a novel and yeah. it's fantastic yes yeah
0: And so just the idea of sort of indigenous culture, shamanism, uh, the idea of working with psychedelics, not in a sort of party way, but in a, you know, an inward journey way. So I found mushrooms and I would eaten them, you know, a few times and just going into nature and just sort of my hypothesis was maybe indigenous people are right and there are beings there are some sort of entities there are some sort of spiritual forces behind the scenes but mm. we don't believe it so we never even ask and we never even consider um so we could just boil that down to like the voice of intuition right right is is strong in a human who is trying to open up their voice of intuition so um you know i started mushroom hunting in the woods that were by my parents house so every day my grandma gave me a smudge bowl i would go burn sage i would walk the trails and my pact with nature was teach me about mushrooms and i'll clean up garbage so because they both looked sort of similar Hmm. it was a garbagey area right just this little park nobody cared about so almost every day i'd go walking and i would just try to like feel my intuitive sense And it would be like, oh, a color, and I'd go there, and it'd be a piece of garbage, and so I'd pick that up, and sometimes it'd be a mushroom. So it took about two years for me to teach myself how to eat my first mushrooms out of the woods, honey mushrooms, um, which I had— found there. So then I kind of became like the weird kid in the family that's like eating the weird mushrooms. And my, it was kind of like when my family got together, like I usually had some mushrooms cooking and they were like, Ooh, but my grandfather was like, Oh, where did you find those? And I'd said like, Oh, you know, back over there. And he's like, Oh, that's so interesting. Cause that's where my grandparents came from Italy to go mushroom hunting. And I was like, okay, so there's some sort of ancestral jokes on me. You know, just by sort of opening myself up and surrendering to trying to have a deeper connection with ecology or get my own food or like live more primally, right? I tapped into a a lineage of my ancestral family, and that was actually where my whole family farm was. And I didn't Mm. even know that at the time. Mm. So just kind of trying to flow through that. And then I spent 10 years in a band or so, and that music industry just got, you know, less naturally connected living in a us driving six hours a day playing. at yeah not I mean I was like Mr. Cooler with my like oh, you had your organic-y right? I was a tight ass yeah. with my needs for yoga and All like right. waking up early and then you know 11 to 2 in the morning right. you know playing and that got stale and I wanted to sort of scale it down into a more earth-based like let's camp like let's stop along the way let's like go out in nature let's look for food and mm. uh, you know and and then I started getting more into primitive skills and I had, uh, interned with Eddie Starnater from New Jersey, who is branched off of Tom Brown's tracker school. Mm. I went to tracker school and then I did like a formal herb training with, uh, you know, Hearthstone Herb School in Van Etten, New York. That was like a year long. And that was from, uh, it was one weekend a month from Friday to Sunday. And though I'd leave like Tuesday or Wednesday to, to, you know, and I'd make these trips out of it and I just camp in the woods and look for food. And, Mm. um, then I just got realizing that I should just keep doing that and Mm. led to me starting to teach foraging and herbalism based on the fact that I just didn't even know that nobody really knew that stuff, you know, and people are like, Oh, this is really interesting. And so I just started teaching. And then after, you know, five, six years of teaching, I decided that I wanted to like build a a medicine show of sort, get a van Mm -hmm. and make an apothecary out of the van so that I can travel and meet communities and try to use social media to sort of bridge these gaps. Of who are the communities? How can we build a network of so-called eco-villages around the country who shares ethical principles, who want to come together to grow our own food, to scale the entire system down, to build a grassroots movement? And uh, so I've been up to that ever since. And luckily and thankfully, people crowdfunded to help me afford the van. Oh really? And, yeah, I That's did a fantastic. crowdfunder on uh, Instagram. And uh, sorry, on uh, GoFundMe, right? And just really have been trying to figure out how to be transparent enough to make a, a trust with a community on social media, right? And, like it's sort of like the Bernie Sanders paradigm of like you know this this small funded right question, and like so you know the idea of like off source right go on to this site go on to that site go on to this site there's so much of that and i even feel overwhelmed like you know you got instagram facebook youtube Mm, check your email this yeah and so the question is really how can we like sort of turn it inside out and make more of a community-based discussion around some of these issues you know
3: right yeah that's fantastic man that's an interesting trip you're on I'm tripping, you know.
0: <laughs> so I've been to India in twenty twelve I went to India for yeah. two and a half months on my own and just walked around looking at plants. Where'd some, you go? What part uh, of the country? I went from uh west to east, so I stayed in the north. So I flew in from New Delhi and then I left from uh Calcutta. So I'd gone to mm, a bunch of different going
3: along the Ganges. Yeah.
0: Towns, villages, yeah. bathed in the Ganges with burning yeah. bodies, like, getting a cold <laughs> cause I'm bathing in like, yeah, it's, zero degree crazy water. Yeah. Um, but my, my desire has always been to practice some sort of amateur ethnobotany to oh. go to these cultures. And like, so I went to India having an understanding of yoga and Vedic, you know, culture to some degree, trying to learn more about the plants or mm. right? you trying to understand why does this whole culture have plants at the basis of it, mm. you know, and then looking at all the traditions have, uh, plants around them. So I'm really curious how cultures interact with plants. And the myths and the rituals based on that and then getting to the the shamanic aspects, the rituals, um, the alterations of consciousness and then how they integrate that. Because I think we very much need that in our society. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we we have taboo shadow sex, drugs and rock and roll. We don't have enlightened, sophisticated elders, sex, drugs and rock and roll teaching us, you know, how can we do this? How can we. Receive ayahuasca culture mm-hmm. in a sane and sustainable way, and if we were smart, we would put the oldest, wisest people on Instagram Live to listen to them, or on national television,
3: or on podcasts, yeah. You know, I brought Stanley to Rogan's podcast. Nice. One of the, yeah, I was so proud that Joe was into it and Stanley was into it and like have an elder, yeah. you know? Yeah. I agree. It's interesting. I often think, you know, you made the parallel earlier, the connection between, uh, you know, the, the don't ask, don't tell approach to teach, not teaching, to, to sexual education, of which there is very Zilch. little. And yeah. um, I often think if we taught kids to drive the way we teach them, about sex yeah it would be like okay here's the keys go learn try not to wreck the car right <laughs> that, that's ridiculous yeah that's how we teach them yeah you know try not to get pregnant right try not to get an std right try not to break anyone's heart
0: which is fear-based you know it's it's all don'ts it's all it's all
3: don't yeah you know, there's no how to do anything right. just don't do this or right. that and also all the paranoia around like every other realm of teaching is you have young people learning from older people. Yeah. Sexuality. Young people. That's from explicitly young people. illegal. Yeah. You, oh like, yes. You know what I mean? Right. If like a 35 year old right. man or woman is yeah. teaching a 17 year old, right. that's a ticket to prison. Right. Yes. Well, there's theory crazy theory and practice. So yeah.
0: theory is, is an important distinction. I mean, in, in, you know, the, the, the yogic tradition, for example, there's, there's intellectual understanding and then there's the sadnas or the practices. And yeah. so those could be very clearly defined as separate and different. But it's very hard because of the taboos that we all have to hit. But, you know, um, I see, you know, the divorce rate, the, uh, you know, accidental pregnancies, yeah. the horrible yeah. broken family phenomenon that we have in the society, like that. that's all become normal. Yeah, you know, and I and I think that's from a lack of having people to turn to. I mean, in my own upbringing, like the idea of masturbation or sex is, is entirely taboo. Mm. There's shame. You know, something I think that we don't talk about enough as men is like there's a lot of shame based. Paranoia and propaganda put on us too toxic you know?
3: masculinity circumcision
0: can... is not no, the the, yeah. the the most beneficial first experience of your genitalia yeah. that you can imagine yeah. you know and even though we don't have conscious recollection right we have some sort of you know shift in our expression as humans and of course the the shame of christianity the shame of you know all the drama around it is is a big topic to unpack. So, thanks for doing your part in it.
3: Um, you mean masturbating? Yes, yeah, profusely. I, I do even right I now. Do. I didn't I know, know that would happen. <laughs> that's, that's why you <laughs> keep should have signed a waiver. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the podcast, man. You should have known. You should have known. These podcasters, <laughs> anything goes. Yeah, well, listen. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. I'm gonna go. I gotta go see my uncle who's leaving town soon. Uh, speaking of elders, he's cool. he's a great guy. He's been on the podcast, Uncle Dan. Nice, beautiful dude. Uh, and also, he's somebody who uh, modeled. Uh, life without shame hmm. uh, for me. He's a very important yeah. character in my life. Yeah. A beautiful dude.
0: Well, there's healthy shame and not healthy shame maybe.
3: Well, know? I don't know. I think regret. Yeah. I think can be healthy. right. right shame. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's an important distinction definitely, there, I you like know, yeah, we definitely like you learn by, by realizing that you made mistakes, Yes, you know, you hurt people, you didn't, you shouldn't have hurt you, yeah. whatever you lied. It's almost
0: becoming fashionable in our culture to, to, to never regret, you know, this whole kind of right. movement. Yeah. Like, oh, I never have regrets.
3: Right. Like, then I wouldn't be me. Yeah. Well, maybe you aren't the best fucking version of you. Well, you know we're what I mean? are all growing? Yeah. You know, we're all still growing. Right. That's the number yeah. one thing. So I think regret is good. Yeah. Uh, you know Or, or functional yeah. But shame It's hard for me To think of a A good uh, I, I mean I think shame Can be uh, Useful In terms of um, Social control Yeah So for example In a hunter-gatherer group If someone does something Hurts Someone Or Is caught um, uh, Not sharing mm-hmm. they sh- They're shamed Right and then if that that generally is enough, yeah. they're ridiculed. Right. But know. they're
0: also then probably reintegrated by modeling.
3: Right. They're not right. necessarily
0: thrown into the lion's den.
3: Oh, um, no, no. I think, no, I mean, if there are different levels. But, yeah. you know, the first level is modeling. You know, yeah, kids right. grow up seeing that right. adults share and yeah. respect each other and all yeah. that. But then if you get... I mean, I was writing about this in the book because the, you know, the Neo Hobbesian theorists like Stephen Pinker and Richard Dawkins and these guys, yeah. one of the things they talk about is like you can't, you know, they, they don't really know the anthropological literature. So what they do is they make these mental exercises mm-hmm. and say, well, uh, you know, you can't possibly have a hunter gatherer group that's egalitarian because what'll happen is you'll have a selfish infiltrator right. is the phrase they use mm-hmm. who will come in and say no all you bitches belong to right. me and all this food's for right. me and I'm not going to go hunting fuck right. you all yeah. and then that person will uh dominate, dominate and have more children and right. so those asshole genes will the propagate selfish gene the selfish theory. gene exactly yeah. right but then you look at actual hunter gatherers and you see like somebody acts like that They get an arrow in the back, you know, eventually, if they don't learn from the ridicule and the shaming and the, you know, like certainly not getting laid. Right. So forget about yourself as genes, you know, propagating. There's a certain, uh,
0: you know, uh, ethical checking system that's inherent within the culture. Right. You know, And
3: very strongly reinforced. Yeah. And also, I mean, our ancestors were all armed. Yes. Right. So I don't care how big. Mr. Alpha male is this, you know, domineering asshole doesn't matter. You don't want to create resentments. You definitely don't want to live in a society of uh, killer be killed.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, but you know, some, some, we have historical context, so to speak of that kind of mentality, blossoming
3: and sometimes
0: i mean genghis yeah. khan alexander the great sure you know, but
3: not in hunter gatherer groups not in hunter gatherer you know genghis khan wouldn't have lasted long is
0: that because yeah. they followed the oracles the seers the shaman i mean weren't those influential people more than like a tribal leader the warriors were under the elders
3: right? yeah well also depend it's you know different cultural context had different ways of reinforcing it. For example, the Iroquois nation, which, you know, the land where you grew up, Mm -hmm. a lot of it was Iroquois. uh, They had the council of of the men, but then there was the council of the women Mm -hmm. who had to approve or deny whatever decision was made by the council of men. Benjamin Franklin, you may know. Stole (laughs) that. Well, yeah, he was familiar with it and that the bicameral or, you know, equal branches of government idea Probably came from the women. The Iroquois. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're coming back. Yeah, yeah. The women—they are coming. The Democrats
0: back. have quite a few, but yeah, let's I mean, so. Keep on trying to help us to find these maps. It's super important. Everybody's asking the questions, but nobody really knows, you know. So
3: yeah, as we continue, well, we're to figuring do, it out. And yeah. I mean, so many people are doing what you're talking about, what I'm talking about, what Anya's talking about, on. What's the name of the podcast? The Millennials Guide to Saving the World. Uh, You know, she's working with uh, these ideas as well. So many people are. I I feel like there's this groundswell. Overgrow the system. Yeah. You know,
0: and that's the thing. Like, so it's a subtle no thank you. It's not... I don't want us to be called into a bloody battle because that's exactly what the system wants. So we, if we could just dig ourselves potatoes out of this mess, Mm. the more we can localize our food and, and shelter and medicine needs, the less we're giving all the funding towards the upstairs. And if we can shrink that in small cottage revolutions all across the country, which I think weeds are an ironic way of making value added products and ferments and hot sauces and cordage Mm -hmm. and dream catchers and whatever it is just blossoming out of you know ecological restoration replanting trimming pruning um i think there's a lot of cottage industry that can come out of that that could sort of shrink the needs the you know so we don't necessarily need to order it all from amazon.com there's a local basket maker who makes some really cool you know, hampers out of invasive weeds. Right. And so then we can scale down a little bit, you know? Yeah,
3: yeah. Even better, like, get get into a local barter kind of. I love these local um, currencies. You know, where...
0: The Ithaca dollars. Yeah. have one in Vermont. Yeah. And then there's also time banking as as an alternative. But, like, see, that's where biodiversity... What, what seems to happen in some communities I visited is there's almost an enforced then barter and nothing else allowed, but mm. they all have, like, car insurance and stuff. Right. So then can we just figure out, like, so the problem is not necessarily switching from one totalitarian idea to another, it's creating biodiversity, right? So all in paradigm. So sometimes we interact through Mm -hmm. cash. Sometimes we interact through time. Sometimes we interact through fair trade, which is like a handshake. Sometimes we interact through, you know.
3: Right. Well, getting back to shame, reputational damage. If you're in a small enough scale, the handshake works. Right. Because people hear, if you don't follow up on your deal, if your word isn't good, people know. Yeah. And that matters. Definitely. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. This is all really is important stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, say again where people find you most easily. You'll never find me. <laughs> <laughs> Your <laughs> Retur- avatar. Return to nature on Instagram.
0: Yeah. Return to nature. Uh, return to nature. us is my website. And, uh, you know, I'll be farming in New Jersey the next year and I'll cool. be doing a herbal mentorship. So that'll be really fun. And, uh, you know, I'm about to tour across the country again, go from California to Jersey. Do you still all. play music? Yeah, I do. More than more than I have been. So I've been playing with this guy Marowak in San Diego just recently. And he is the guy who's been playing reggae and stuff. And Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get out there more, do like open mics and stuff. Hmm. And uh, I, th- I think music is a powerful way of just like getting people to overcome some of the intellectual dross and getting on the same yeah. page, you know? I hear you. Well, thanks, right. man. Thank I you. really, really appreciate day. it. Yeah. Keep
3: on doing your good work. Thank you. You too, man. Yeah. I Take enjoyed care. this. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Dandelion, return to Us is his website. Return to nature is his Instagram handle. And he's got that YouTube channel as well, Return to Nature Skills, I think he said it was. Um, Anyway, you can track him down, Dandelion, Return to Nature. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And uh, just one last reminder that this one was brought to you by the good folks at Mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R dot com. It's good shit. I drink it. I haven't snorted it, but I'll bet you could. No, you shouldn't snort it. Don't snort anything. Snorting, if you think about snorting, is such a terrible way to ingest. Like, who came up with that? That's a terrible way to ingest things. Um, So don't snort mud water. Just mix it into some hot water and drink it, and you'll thank me. All right. I'm going to Hawaii. See you guys when I come back. Say hi to mom. Okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage.
1: Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo-Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass.
3: (laughs) (laughs) She didn't like saying that last one.
1: Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called.
3: Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's Julie, my mom.
5: He said, Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. A chest, you wanna shut it up but give it a rest. You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation?